Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. One down to one field, and we'll see them up with. What you doing down here, you Johnny man? I'm going to ask a very simple question of Ken Early and Kieran Murphy to kick off today's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. On a scale of 1 to 10, Kieran. Okay. How Irish do you feel? 1 being Dave Kitson Irish. Yeah, okay. If you remember how Dave Kitson yeah. didn't really welcome the idea of being called up to the Republic of Ireland. So 10 being Robbie Robbie Keno Irish. <laughs> uh, that's Uber Irish. That's the guy who just can't I'm, I'm a help 10. scoring. You're 10. I'm a hard 10. <laughs> well, then you're, you're <laughs> when in. When it comes to my Irish, just can't. <clears throat> Uh, I'd say I'm probably about a, a five. A five? Well, between the two extremes, I mean, wishy-washy, you know. I mean, I consider myself Irish, but also European. Would you be within your rights to play for the Irish national team? You would at a five. Well, I don't think I'm eligible to play for any other national teams. So. <laughs> I ask, of course, Ken, because of the Mark Noble story. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. hold on a second. Let's turn... Uh, let's uh, have the hunter become the hunted. Yeah. McDevitt? On a scale oh, of one to I ten. see. Yeah, what do you think? Eight. Eight? How come, well, it's pretty high. But he was a 10. He's from Milltown. cabbage-faced cloud. <laughs> That's the most... Ch- Stone-boiling, <laughs> That's also the most childish thing I've ever said on the show. But he's a 10 in this <laughs> yeah. stupid scale. Anyway, Mark Noble's bubbling away there underneath the build-up to Ireland's European qualifying campaign. We're going to ask Richie Sadler about it. Ken will chat to Niall Quinn about it. He's meeting Niall. Not, not only, but I mean, I don't, want, I don't want people to think that we're obsessed with this Mark Noble... That's a really interesting story. story. It is interesting, although I'm not sure that Mark Noble is going to ultimately... But don't you think... That's that why we have to talk about it now. Yeah, that it holds the mirror up to each and every one. Well, that's what I think. I think there's an interesting theme there, you know? I think there's a lot of interesting... You know, let's not... What I'm, I'm urging our listeners not to think of this in terms of just Mark Noble, mm. as though we're trying to drag this, you know, non-story out just to have stuff to talk about. That's not what's going on here. We're debating something important here. It's what our nationhood. Is, what is Irishness? And who qualifies? In fact, it is a busy, busy day for Ken, who's already been travelling around getting the latest from Roy Keane and Seamus Coleman. Fortunately, he has been able to avail of his favourite mode of transport. The noise you hear 
is the Ken Early helicopter. Oh, this is a little unprofessional, though, isn't it? Like, you know, Ken, could you just make sure that your that your helicopter driver pilot, you know, gets? See, I can't even concentrate. That noise in the background. Could you just get the helicopter here, out here? Sounding news there. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm sorry. You know, I mean, it's not. Hunting yeah, it's Wolfie, being flo- well. it's being flown by Wolfie as opposed yeah, to a human that's, being. That's not great. A very you know, efficient. Pilot. I've, I've got some safety concerns. That's a greyhound flying a helicopter. <laughs> you know, I'm not entirely sure that's a good idea. Is but Wolfie? Is Wolfie a greyhound? Uh, yeah. <laughs> first of all, though, Ken, your reflections on last night versus Oman. Uh, my reflections. Uh, uh, I'll remind you of the game, Ken. It was a two 0 victory. Oh yeah, headed goal by Kevin Doyle, and then then Alex. Well, Pierce I thought it was a very nice finish by finish. Alex Pierce. It really was, yeah. You know, just a couple of little touches, you know, beautifully worked between Richard Kyo and, uh, and Alex Pierce. The joy on their faces, their craggy central defensive faces <laughs> as they celebrated that goal. I mean, it was um, it was an OK game. I mean, it wasn't it was the game was a was a bit of a non-event. Yeah. You know, Shea Given was standing there for 45 minutes. He watched a couple of balls go wide. There was one ball that trickled to him, I think, and he, and he booted one out, maybe took a couple of goal kicks. Not a lot, really. Not a lot going on there from Shaggy in terms of getting to my shoppers. Although, because there was so few people there, you could hear the screams of the players to each other, which wasn't, you know, help me, help me. It was, <laughs> it was up, you know, up, up. Richard Kell particularly marshalling the defence. Uh, Shea Given doing a lot of screaming. One of the things that you hear about Shea Given is, does he organise the defence that well? Well, he organised the defence pretty vocally, judging by last night. Um, I mean, I suppose... He was, in a way, on trial, in a way that he's never been in his Ireland career. You know, Shea Given has always been... Was there ever a time when he was even the substitute goalkeeper? Was he in the squad as a backup goalkeeper at any point? Maybe Alan Kelly... I think in the very early days under Alan Kelly, yeah. Mm. Um, But But he was 20 when he made his debut. It's a long time ago, you know, so... uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the whole question of whether he's just going to slot straight back into that uh, number one slot. It's time for Ken Erdy's International Football Report on Sport. Yeah, so 2-0 against Oman, uh, off to Georgia today, up in Malahide today. A lovely day today, by the way. Um, the return of summer after uh, four, five, six weeks of winter. Indeed. Uh, was there anything else to report from Malhide other than the babby weather conditions? Not a lot. What do we really. pick you for, Ken? Um, James McCarthy is is fit after his recent uh, blister problem. Uh, Seamus Coleman fighting fit, uh, champing at the bit. Uh, Ireland in general looking in great shape. Uh, although I don't know what you made then of the. I mean. There was an argument maybe to, to be made that what was the point of playing the warm-up game with a very different team from the team that's likely to play uh, against Georgia? Um, the answer that Martin O'Neill was giving was that there were still players who he hadn't seen play who he needed to see, like Robbie Brady and Darren Gibson. Although it doesn't seem as though these players are going to come in. Robbie Brady, I have to say, though, looks like one of our major attacking weapons now. Even if, I mean, in the general play last night, he didn't do a whole lot, but his set-piece delivery is brilliant. I mean, you could see even uh, when he came on for Hull against Aston Villa, um, he was playing for Hull against Aston Villa on the weekend, and he created Hull's goal with one of those balls into the box and was consistently their most dangerous player. You know, I think uh, it has to be, it has to somehow come into the, the reckoning. The two goals we scored last night were both from corners. Um, and if you saw the FIFA technical study of the World Cup, um, 11% of the goals in the World Cup were from corners, which is about five and a half times the rate of 
normal football. Our problem has been uh, over the Trapetonian reign, it's not his fault, uh, this particular criticism, is just that those set-piece goals are something that we started scoring less and less of, I think, in in part because we don't have particularly physically imposing players or not many of them certainly that's why I like David Myler and hope that he cements his place somewhere in the team uh, looks like it's right back in his position but may not be starting in centre midfield guys like that I don't know if he's necessarily going to head a lot of goals but guys who are comfortable in their own imposing their own physicality yeah, it's kind of a bare minimum that we used to have with their international team and we have lost that over the last five or six years yeah um, I mean maybe they don't like it up McKenna all those every other team bar Ireland and England <laughs> just don't like it up and the jocks of course the jocks. Um, so we're, yeah, I mean, I suppose we have from Roy Keane because he was there today, he was doing the media duties today um, and he's grown, as you would have seen, a uh, the, the biggest beard yet. Um, he has, his beard has now gone mainly white in the below the mouth region and he's let it grow pretty long this time. So it's, so the individual beard hairs have started to curl and you can see the uh, the white ones. There's, there's white ones and black ones, but it makes them look generally pretty fearsome. I was looking at Rokin, I thought, this man has a face which would look at home in almost any period of history. I mean, there was that famous photograph of him, which I actually used in the program last night, where he was wearing that kind of hood. And he looked like um, someone from possibly the Black Death era. Bring out your dead. Yeah. And he's he's kind of pulling a wagon down the down the street. Um today he looked he, he could have quite easily been in a photograph with Scott of the Antarctic. You know, one of those Victorian lads. Or or you know, Daniel O'Connell. Charles Daniel Parnell. Could easily have been chew, chewing on a pipe or he could have I could have imagined him as, you know, in a in a chain mail. Uh, sort of American Civil War veteran, easily, yeah. absolutely. General Robert E. Lee uh, signing the uh, was Appomattox, yeah. you know, signing the surrender. Any yeah. of these member um, of a folk group from the nineteen sixties or nineteen seventies or or twenty tens. Mm. Um, so it's it's remarkable. But enough about Roy Keane's face. Uh, he talked. Um, I mean, he, it's always a bit of a performance with Kane. You're not quite sure to what extent he's being serious. Uh, I mean, he walked over today to the the media, and the, the FBI had actually it's it's kind of pitch side update facilities 2.0 today, because instead of the regulation um, uh, sort of rope, uh, thin rope suspended on a few metal uh, little sort of metal post things. They'd actually created a what I'd describe on as a crenellation, um, a sort of a rectangular space in which the person to be interviewed could stand in that space, and media could then crowd around on three sides, as opposed to mm. everybody sort of leaning along this one flat plane. You see what I mean? Yeah. The human intestine, I think, works on a similar uh, a similar principle to increase the surface area mm. to the you know to the to the chyme. I think it's called. Liquid food. Uh, in this instance, it was Roy Keane, uh, who <laughs> was who was going to be at the centre of this, uh, surrounded on all sides, beset on all sides by the media. He walked over from the training field. It was the slowest walk I've ever seen anyone ever do. Uh, he he was barely inching one foot past the next as he, he made his way. It took him seven or eight minutes to walk across the, the football pitch. <laughs> and we, we we were all waiting there and eventually kind of coming his, his eyes are kind of, he's doing that sort of slightly narrowed eyes thing, slightly sceptical look. And answered a few questions seemed to be generally quite bored by them. Um, one of them was, would a draw be a good result? I don't know. Maybe ask me that after the match. Uh, you never go into any game thinking about draws. You, you, 
your instinct as a footballer, as a coach, or a manager, can you try and win the game? Win the game you're involved in. But we will. Um, it depends how the game goes. But the mindset isn't enough from the manager, the staff, and the players. And try and win. Try and win every game of football you go into. Historically, we we struggled to get away wins. Is there any reason for that? Uh, I don't know. Again, again we, we could we could be chatting here all day and analysing it. But we the players who sat on Sunday can't worry what's gone on previously. We have to go and do the business and, and try and get the, a positive result. Well, do you see the players being mentally ready for the atmosphere they're going to face on Sunday? Yeah, yeah, we'll be fine. Uh, <coughs> everyone seems frightened to death. I don't, particularly the media. Uh, a lot of negativity. Strange enough, I'm sure for if we qualify, you'll be forced to celebrate and have a jolly up over there. So, uh, no, from the players' point of view, and I think from the manager and the staff, we've got a top top manager, and we'll be ready. You know. Don't you worry, was on Stanta last night reminding us of why it can be a worrying trip given that he had a pen knife thrown at him yeah, I remember that, by yeah. supporters over in Tbilisi in the past so it's not without incident this particular fixture I yeah. don't think anyone's being totally overly dramatic about it are they? The last time we went to Tbilisi we didn't even go to Tbilisi of course we went to Mainz uh, Wiesbaden uh, because Georgia was being invaded at the time by Russia just one of those local border disputes that Russia has from time to time with its neighbours. That was bad news for Georgia, Ken. It was good news for Ireland's chances of qualifying for the Euros. <coughs> it was. It was great we news. We sold a serious march on all the other yeah. teams who ended up we, having to play back in Georgia. We stuffed Georgia 2-1 in Mainz. Uh, Give them a damn good thrashing in Mainz. The, th- the thrashing of Mainz as it's known even to the locals yeah. to this day. <laughs> and uh, yeah, everyone else of course had to play over there and, and uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't fair. But uh, it worked out to our advantage. So so I suppose uh, we move on. What else? What, what do we move on to? What else is Roy? Um, yeah, I mean, as I said, you don't really know whether he's been serious or not. I mean, has he been serious about the Jolly Up thing? I suppose, I mean, it's true that if Ireland did qualify for the Euros, the media would be happy. And at some point, they probably would have a Jolly Up along with everybody else the involved. The entire with the rest of the nation, yeah. Yeah, they're an international team uh, from top to bottom. Um, with the possible exception of, of Roy Keane himself, uh, who, of course, has a lot on his plate now, uh, work-wise. It's not just Ireland, it's also Aston Villa. And uh, I think he was asked about uh, having you know, taken that job at Aston Villa. Did he find, you know, how did he find that affecting? You don't ask him in a sort of a way which implies what you think. How did you find that, that uh, sort of affecting? Not that it would affect, of course, but, you know, how would you find that, the fact that you have, have that job? Impa- on, it, well, it's not that it's going to have an impact as such. If but you could talk to us a bit, please, about the fact that you work for Aston Villa and for Ireland. That's why I, 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 I took the role with Villa. I think that the, the more I work with players on the training pitch, the more I'll improve. I, t- I don't think there's any interference with, with the Irish setup. Um, so I, I didn't think that was a problem. So far, it hasn't been. Obviously, I'm in the door two minutes at Villa. Um, but the more the more hours I get, we're working with good players. It'll certainly improve me as a coach, and that's what I wanted to do. That's why I got back involved. I wanted to be on the grass a bit more, and uh, and it's not a problem. I, I didn't think it would be a problem. So far, it hasn't been. It probably hasn't, has it? It's not really that big a deal. What have you been doing with, like few weeks yeah we yeah. haven't even played a competitive game yet no. but nobody will know this is going to, nobody will know what the impact is bar Roy Keane and Martin O'Neill maybe even the players won't be able to decide for definite whether or not it's a, a draining effect on him having to work these two jobs I would have thought he's able for so he'd probably be able for it alright I mean uh, he seems to be in good form at the moment actually Keane well um, we would all be in good form at that period um, yeah I mean he looks you know 
He's got a badger stable to his face, for God's sake. I mean, what's not to be proud about? He's got a what? A, a badger. <laughs> I mean, it does... It looks like two separate beards. It looks like there's the well, white it's, beard. it's white below, and then it's got a black uh, moustache and sort yeah. of a walrus, you know, like a... Though, again, we, we keep going back to the Civil War. General Burnside, mm. you know, he's got that bit of it as black, and then the rest of it is white. But some beard, yeah. But, the, but there's also a bit of white in amongst the beard. That's what I was going to say. A lot of beards, it's more evenly displaced around the, the entire beard, whereas mostly, I think, with Keane, it, it, certainly from a distance, maybe you saw it differently up close, mm. it looks like a white beard underneath with a black beard. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird, you know, like, no matter how dark your hair is, usually as an Irish person, there will be a slight tinge of, of red but in that not. beard, but it doesn't appear to be at all. No, there really isn't. Um, Seamus Coleman has. I've never seen him with a beard. Uh, clean shaven, clean cut young young man. Never seen him with stubble, even now that you mention it. No, it's because he shaves. Yeah, but he <laughs> shaves every day. <laughs> people, who, people who are people who are um, oh, yeah. you know, take pride take pride in their appearance. Yeah. Young men like Seamus Coleman who who think it's slovenly not to to leave the house without shaving. Some people think that. You know, I, I mean Well, young men today generally I think groom more than shave can. So you know, oftentimes there is facial hair it's just well ordered yeah and Seamus Coleman maybe Seamus Coleman's old fashioned he just likes maybe he goes to work shirt and tie to the training ground yeah clean shaven could be blazer khakis I'm not sure what he wears but I do know that he he's clean shaven most of the time and he was today um so Seamus Coleman was being asked um you know in terms of obviously this is a Martin O'Neill team now first competitive game under him and whether there's a difference in, in the role that he now has as compared to the one that he had in the previous team um, you know I think uh, I don't want to be negative about the previous manager but uh, I think under under Martin O'Neill you see I think when James O'Clean even broke in his team he likes to have wingers to, to go at them and he, and he encouraged me to, to get forward as much as I can as well but uh, you know, I've, I've nothing negative to say about the last campaign, but we're just looking forward to this one. What mark out of 10 would you give David Myler for his performance at right back uh, last night? I thought it was brilliant. Um, I thought it was fantastic. The, the, way he, the way he got forward and that, you know, he's not a not a natural right back, but he looked he looked so comfortable on the ball and, you know, I was delighted for him and it's another cap for him. One point that was made afterwards, I think, by Kenny Cunningham was that it means in games, if we need to use you at right midfield, uh, we can. We've maybe got an option to cover it right back. How do you feel about playing right midfield? Um, I've played there. I've played there in the past, as everyone knows. I've, I've broke in there before, but uh, I see myself as a right back now. And but uh, as I said, I'll do anything, anything for the national team, and if that's the case, but uh, my preferred place is uh, is right back. I like the questioning there, Ken. He didn't. He didn't quite give a mark out of ten for David Myler's right back performance. Sounded like an eight and a half. Or <laughs> yeah, a nine. it sounded like yeah. a pretty high one. Sounded right. like he's his position is under threat. I do prefer Coleman at right back at this point. Uh, it, it's we just assume that he can go back to playing right mid. But to be honest, I don't know if he was an amazing right mid. Whereas he is an absolutely incredible right back. But I do want to move on to other. Not is there any non-Irish? Oh yeah. International reaction you want to bring us? Well, England were playing last night. Yep. And uh, they had a record low crowd at Wembley of about 40,000, um, which, <laughs> you know, which was a, sh- a shock to everybody. It was, my God. And uh, obviously, we've we've been going through that process for a while. But it would be sort of interesting if it was now to happen to England. I suppose there's an assumption, you know, Scotland has, their national team has became a zombie team for a while. Signs of maybe life there for a bit. Ireland maybe... You know, the national team has fallen on hard times to an extent and people aren't turning up. I mean, this is the thing. Last last night, for instance, uh, the, the, you know, 14,367 people or whatever it was, 376 maybe, um, O'Neill was being asked about it afterwards 
bit disappointing this turned out absolutely not absolutely not he's saying you know because no one wants to sound like Marie Antoinette and be like where are all the people yeah. you know why is nobody coming to, to to the game you know and then only for people to be able to turn around and point the finger and go but the, the Irish people just haven't got that much money at the moment you know to to shell out on tickets for this stupid game and besides it's only Oman no it isn't only Oman it's Ireland Ireland are playing that's the team that's playing that's the team that people are supposedly going to see nobody really cares that much about the opposition anyway I mean what are you saying oh I want to go and see Germany well you go and see Germany against Ireland Ireland against Germany you're going to see Ireland lose heavily in a match but you get to see some of the best players in the world yeah. Their course is a difference between watching but Germany and watching but, Oman. Where's the thing about... Yeah, but the, the interesting thing about this is that those seeds appear to have been paid for. If you went on Ticketmaster and looked at, at the, tried to buy a ticket, you couldn't buy a ticket for most of those blocks. They've sold, you know, season tickets and they've sold tickets for, for, for blocks. They had sold tickets to people who didn't turn up. People paid and then didn't go. That's sure. That, because they still how feel, often do you see that in they, the world? Yeah, they still feel they're getting a better deal by buying the overall season ticket, even if they're going yeah. to miss one. But I had one, a friend of mine was wondering, did I want to go along? He has a season ticket, and the person he usually goes with had less than no interest in going to see Oman. But you're going to see Ireland. It's, that's, that's the thing that you're going to see. Like, where, you know, where are these fans? You know, I thought we were supposed to have a good crowd here. I thought we were supposed to be football men. You know, I thought we had a, a, fo- a few football men and women and children out there. Uh, especially if they have, I wouldn't be critical of season tickets. supporters for not. Well, nobody to wants to be critical of supporters. Well, like you can, I am can critical be. of supporters who pay for a match and then don't go. I am critical. I think but you're simplifying it by saying that they paid for that match and didn't go. They didn't. They, well, didn't, they didn't buy a ticket for a man on the Friday and then decide on the what, Tuesday and then decide. They bought. They bought. Go. They have a season ticket and they're not going. But play, they're picking and choosing games. But that's what people do in the this Premier is, League. This has been an accusation that's caused a lot of problems before. Certain Irish football men, <laughs> when they were accused of picking and choosing games, took it. it. Time was, I'm old enough to remember, when picking and choosing your games was considered to be the Fair lowest it. possible insult. Yeah. That was considered That was considered enough for, for men to take serious action. Real football men. To deny themselves football in order to make a point over that. And yet here we have, apparently, a generation of Irish supporters who thinks it's fine. Oh, it's only Oman. It's not. It's Ireland. You know? I wonder if it was Jack Grealish watching. Maybe these Irish football men uh, watching whatever they were watching on TV last night, not bothering to watch the Irish uh, game. And I'm, I'm not leaving the Irish football women out of this either. All those Irish football men and women out there doing whatever it was they were doing on a Wednesday night. I don't know what their leisure options are these days, but whatever it is they decided to do. And meanwhile, over in England, young Jack Grealish and his father, who were going to make the decision on his future, flick on uh, TV. They've probably got Satanta, right? I mean, I don't know what channel it was on in England. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, and they're confronted by this side of this... The stadium, which is almost completely empty, it's like a, it has that sound that you get in a church when you go into a church, a really big church when there's nothing happening in it apart from a few people walking around the far end. You, can, you know that sort of echoey yeah. sound. You might see a couple of people lighting candles and stuff. It's got that atmosphere. Jack Grealish looking at his father, you know, <laughs> eyes wide, you know, with incomprehension. What's happening? Papa. What's happening, Daddy? <laughs> You know, and, and and his father's like, don't you know, don't look at that. And then, luckily, he turns on the England game. Oh, yeah, and the sees c- the same thing yeah. at Wembley. Yeah, the cacophony of noise. I was going to say <laughs> at Wembley that was the greed of the change of channel. Luckily, the Wembley Wembley game is a bit of a disaster, and and poor old Wayne Rooney uh, having a bit of a nightmare. The old armband there um, seems to have uh, cut off all of his footballing powers, <laughs> and he's not playing very well. But you know, 
Um, England generally didn't play well. They, they ended up winning 1-0 with a goal scored by Rooney from the penalty spot. Roy Hodgson um, got insulted afterwards and someone suggested uh, England had only had two shots. Uh, and he was saying, don't come at me with that. Don't come at me with that. Don't give me that one. Two shots on target. What about all the ones they threw themselves in front of? Don't hit me with statistics. Well, we had that much possession and you talk about two shots on target. Uh, he, he also says something along the lines of, Switzerland need to beat us. They're playing Switzerland, obviously, it's their, their qualifier. We might be Norway then. We might be in the position of Norway. Which, which obviously nobody wants to hear whether or not it's true. But... Uh, Lars Sivertsen, a Norwegian journalist, had written quite a quite a good preview of this one uh, in the Mirror, and p- making the point that Hodgson, when he coached in Norway, was a very different persona. Was obviously the same person, but in terms of how people perceived him, he was completely different. Um, he uh, essentially, you know, was was this kind of um, offbeat maverick, uh, uh, almost a an entertainer as much as a manager uh, and he would he would do, uh, he said uh, this is uh, a player called Frodo Olsen a goalkeeper of Viking Stavanger where Hodgson worked um, I should have been in Monaco smoking my cigar Hodgson told them, instead I find myself here with you guys, fighting the elements for pocket money um, Olsen says, Roy Hodgson's the funniest coach I've ever had, in addition to being a brilliant coach, he has a unique approach to the players, he'll spellbind and motivate the players before every season with a long stand-up show ahead of every training session with Viking he'd sit down in front of his players in a suit and tell stories that had us in stitches I, I was thinking just as a space monkey joke exactly what I was thinking <laughs> of there, yeah he's trying to do that, but you know, Hodgson there's a couple of, couple of lines here from, from uh, Hodgson uh, he was of the opinion, no young reporter has enough knowledge or experience to ask him questions about football uh, he said he didn't intend to talk about the referee and the reporter said to, he asked about the referee anyway Hodgson took the reporter's pen and notebook wrote Roy Hodgson has no comment for you and handed it back to him um, I made this exercise yesterday and hope we could improve Hodgson once told his players of training but I forgot I'm in charge of a pub team who are you Franz Beckenbauer get the ball up to the big man and let him deal with it um, I'm really happy you joined in the training session, Hodgson once told uh, young prospect Trigva Aza Lund. First of all, you seem like a decent player. But most important, today I wasn't the fattest one in the training field, says, says Hodgson. One more, one more Roy Hodgson quote. Uh, there are three categories of players, he told another player. The first one are top class. You admire them. They'll win you trophies. In the middle, you find normal players, sometimes good, sometimes bad. In the last category, you find players you really dislike. They're shit and don't give you anything. And Bjorn Berland, you are in the last category. I don't know. You don't, you don't like that? No, I like Is it uh, 100% verified? This oh, I be- well, I believe I believe Lars. Story. Uh, I believe Lars. I mean, I think the thing here is that Hodgson is obviously a different man when he's surrounded by his own. He loses his confidence. He loses this... Like, he's like Lenny Bruce in, in Stavanger. You know? There's nothing he won't say. He's a, he's a, he shoots straight from the hip. He rips up the rule book. You know, but surrounded by English people who, within two seconds of his opening his, of him opening his mouth, any English person will immediately have him pegged. They'll know where he's from. They'll know roughly what type of person, what type of background. They'll have made a judgment about him immediately. Uh, it's just a thing that happens 
to do with accents. And maybe foreigners, foreigners hear Roy Hodgson talking, they go, here's this English guy, you know, let's, let's hear what he has to say. There's none of that prejudgment. And I think Roy Hodgson seems to thrive in that environment. Maybe he should work. Unfortunately, he's now the England manager, so I suppose he's just going to have to suck it up. Yeah, flame yeah, head, flame head, flame head, flame head, flame head, flame head, flame Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around and bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Aaron. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. On sight. That's where it comes from. On sight. Thanks a lot, Pepe. How much do wanna give a fuck? Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. This is where things get really exciting because we have two great Irish football men to interview. Richie Sadler is coming into the studio, but Niall Quinn is out of the Radisson Blue Hotel at the airport. What are we going to do? One, he's just waiting to be asked some big questions. Yeah, okay. The best thing for you to do, Ken, is hop into the Ken Journalist Chopper. You can you can see it. Yeah, it's right in front of you here. Be careful! You got to go around the back to go. We've got a highly skilled pilot of this bad boy. There he is. There he is. Wolfie the Greyhound. (laughs) Feeling confident, uh, Ken? Yeah, I suppose there's there's no other way of making this trip in the in the small amount of time that we've got. Myself and Murph will take care of Richie and catch up with you on the other side. Godspeed, Ken. Godspeed, Ken. Richie Sadler has popped into studio. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? Uh, we're pretty good. If I was to tell you right now that Ireland's qualifier against Georgia on Sunday was cancelled, but that we could slot in a friendly against Oman, how would you feel about that? I think I would be delighted, as would all the country, to see a spectacle like that once again. Uh, it's, it's one of the most compelling narratives in world sport now, the, the ongoing Ireland-Oman rivalry. Rivalry, yeah. Uh, go on, yeah. It was... <laughs> I mean, I was working on... We, we won't dwell too long. Yeah, we? let's not... Um, we even did our best in the highlight show last night not to dwell too much in the game as best we could. It was... Uh, as soon as you saw the team selection, you knew kind of what category to put that match in. Like the, the, the kind of the utterly meaningless box. Um, the limited value in friendlies at the best of times anyway. In the build-up to a competitive game, you kind of question the merits of them anyway. But, but when he put out the team that he put out, he's thinking, well, fair enough. The reason for last night is just to protect the lads who were going to play on Sunday from getting an injury as best you can. Would you be critical of him for going that way? Not at all, no. I think it's sensible enough because he said plenty. It's not like he hasn't had an opportunity to do things. If this was the only friendly he was given before the for Sunday's game or if he'd only recently got the job or if he's, there's some changes to personnel forced upon him either by suspension or injury or if there was some change in his approach that the players needed a practice run at. For all those reasons, you think, absolutely, play your strongest 11 and make this the most meaningful practice run ahead of Sunday. But none of those things apply. He's had, though, yeah, he's had... He's had how long does a fella want? Like, all the players should know exactly what's required of them. He should know enough about the players to know who he wants for Do Sunday. Do things not change, though, at the start of a new season as this is? is it a little, can you lose a little bit of what you're talking about there? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think... Like, what, 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 what would Robbie and Shane Long and McGeady, what would they demonstrate last night that Martin O'Neill would be unaware of? Cohesion, maybe. Robbie Keane, if he was to start, if he is going to start behind Shane Long, they could have tried that last night. I'm clutching at straws a little I, bit I, here. Like, oh, look that, that, at old face here. That is, the yeah, argument really that, is, that, here. that is the argument that some people have put forward, that you have to tune up, that you have to play as close to your full 11 as you can in a game which is only a few days away from a qualifier. I, I, I would think the, the, the better use... If you know your team, which we'll assume O'Neill does, he must know nine or ten of the players at this stage. The players know exactly what's required from O'Neill, or what what is required of them by O'Neill. Um, and I think the bigger risk would be if if you were to lose a player through injury, playing O'Man 
like like how would you feel after that waking up this morning and going right well we're, we're missing those two lads for Sunday now because we went for it against a man it, it, it just I think I think the greater risk of that happening would justify O'Neill's selection last night Shake Even was back uh, mm. I, don't, I don't think you think this is a, any sort of problem as it has been presented by some people that it may not be great for the other goalkeepers particularly David Ford who's the guy who's under threat now for a starting spot well I'd be very wary of picking a team to protect the egos of some of the players I think you pick the best players and we're not we're not talking about someone here who's a particularly troublesome individual there's no stories I'm aware of that Shea Given is a bit of an upstart in the dressing room or will will make a nuisance of himself with the media or undermine the management um, O'Neill picked four keepers I on a footballing argument, I don't see how anyone could say the Shea Given is one isn't one of the best four keepers available. So you're not worried about the mindset of David Ford. Say he's built up a career, came from nowhere, really wasn't a very well known guy. Up went over to the Euros as, as one of the backups, probably the third choice at that stage, uh, behind Westwood. Came through, has played quite well in the couple of years. Man of the match against Sweden away, you know, which mm-hmm. was maybe the best result of the last. Uh, last two or three years, and he may still start, but he's he might be looking at it going. You know, this guy given, he's, he's got this his, guy. <laughs> this guy has got his 140 caps or whatever it is. He's uh, he hasn't actually been playing that much club football, but now he's back. You, if you're a proper professional, you can't worry about that. Is that the argument? I I think private conversations obviously have, must have happened between Ford and, and the manager he must have said listen what's this about or, or O'Neill may have con- gone to Ford and explained some of his thinking but I, I, I don't think he can for, for, for to, to keep David Ford happy or to because you keep want him to, confident I would say rather than keep him would his happy. Fr- confidence be that fragile I hope not. Do you know what I mean? I'd think that that'd be the greater worry. If you're sitting here going, well, Ireland's first choice goalkeeper of the last couple of years is now a bit of a risk for Sunday's game because the presence of another decent goalkeeper in the squad has has, has wobbled them to such an extent that we're not really sure whether we can bank on them. Mm. I think it's maybe a little bit dismissive of David Ford and his and his capabilities to think that that, that Given's inclusion or presence in the, in the squad or walking around the hotel will throw them all together I think Given go back to the football argument Given is definitely among our best three or four goalkeepers if Given was to play on Sunday this conversation takes a different direction altogether then we're into the rounds of well what is that selection based on Given hasn't really played he did nothing against a man that would that you would say right, he's the man that needs to play because he had nothing to do so you don't think he should start on Sunday I'd be very surprised if he did well it's hard to construct an argument yeah what, what, what would you be basing it on yeah. what, when, when have we recently seen him play in the last couple of years where he's gone right he's the man history I guess and what he's done over the years which maybe um, isn't relevant at this stage I then you're into the area of going right well how must David Ford think because yeah. he has done well and given hasn't done anything like not has not even has done badly, but ha- hasn't really played. So then you'd have to say, if you're David Ford, going right. Well, that's a very clear statement from the manager that I'm number two, no matter what. I saw you talking last night about Mark Noble um, with Kenny Cunningham, Richie. Yes. Uh, your argument, that to sum it up briefly, we'll get into it now, was that it's perfectly reasonable for a player to come over to declare for Ireland at this stage if he's going to bolster our squad. Uh, Kenny Cunningham took a uh, view that it's not good enough for somebody to decide after whatever amount of years playing for England's underage teams 
and then waiting around for the call-up just to suddenly decide he's Irish and he's going to play. Liam George is very much on Kenny Cunningham's side here. Balls that he were reporting quotes from a former teammate of yours. Um, if I'm going to be completely honest, I think it's a disgrace. Here's a guy that's played for England all of his life. He's got caps at under 21. He's played 20 times all the way through. No affiliation to Ireland whatsoever. I think it's cheating an Irish lad who's got a passion for his country and wants to represent his country. What do you think of Liam's comments? Cheating an Irish lad? I... I, I I don't want to be too strong, but I think that's kind of populist crap. It's it's if if you're gonna if we're gonna assume here the reason for a manager to pick a squad is to win games and qualify for a tournament, right? We'll we'll assume that's that's the the ultimate aim of what he's doing. You pick your best players. Mark Noble's career has gone in a particular direction. He had under twenty one caps for England. He's born in England. He has an affiliation there, and he had an ambition to play for England. That scenario may now have changed because you might realise that he can't play. So now he gets to reassess the situation. He may decide it's better to be an under-21 England player that has done nothing else and he might even declare an interest. I think Martin O'Neill here will be in a position to judge whether or not the mentality or the attitude of Mark Noble is enough of a factor to either rule him out of playing or to include him. Mark Noble on, on footballing grounds, I think, would belong in the discussion about the best 24 Irish players if he was available and eligible and declared an interest in playing. And after that, you leave it up to Martin O'Neill. Mm. We're not talking about someone who's going to be walking around the hotel, singing the Nash- English national anthem, doing interviews about how he's bored of being in the Irish squad and how it's really annoyed he's here. And he puts on a green jersey and swans around the pitch, looking clearly like a fellow who doesn't want to be there. If any of those things are, are, are in him, he won't get near the squad. O'Neill will see that a mile off. Keane will see it. He won't be picked. So... We're not going to face. We're not going to be faced with a scenario where Mark Noble, a half-arsed Mark Noble, is going to be in Irish squads. Half-arsed players don't get in the squad. Really, has it never happened before? That what? That a half-arsed player gets in a squad. I'm, I, well, don't, it, I don't it, have it, a specific example to uh, throw in here as a as a grenade, as Bill O'Hurdy would call <laughs> it. But I'd be surprised if, if every English-born player has come over and. Well, you know this better than me. But uh, Liam, see the English-born. You see English-born. I think people. And, and then at some point someone's going to use the word passion here in this argument. That, it, that there's a passion that you have. First, what, what's Irish, first of all? Can you, what are we, are we, can you be born in England with an Irish family? Was well, yeah, Liam George is a, probably a, a good example here because he was born in England, but um, by all accounts brought up very much in an Irish... Uh, he grew up with an Irish identity. An Irish identity, whereas yeah. a guy like Mark Noble, the Irish identity certainly seems to be a little bit... Uh, slimmer there so you are you're getting into the realms of defining what exactly an Irish person is which a lot of people are the different views on and then would you extend that then to management teams are we, are we back to saying you know Italians shouldn't, shouldn't have managed the, the, the squad like how, how much do you want to how, how inclusive or, or, or open to other identities other than a strict you know born here lived here only his Irish relatives only ever saw himself as Irish I how far be... the other way would you like to go how open do you want to be about it for example well, just to keep it to Mark Noble let's w- say well no I want to move it you away from Mark Noble bigger, for a second right? because I was watching the European Athletics Championships recently and you've got some middle distance races there where there's uh, there are a couple of Ethiopians up against each other representing Norway Denmark. and Denmark or something yeah. no connection nothing like that brought over however relaxed the rules are on citizenship or on eligibility I'm not sure but clearly reasonably relaxed the English rugby team quite a few players that had no connection with England until moving over um, to a lesser extent maybe that exists in Ireland are you okay would you be okay with that would you be okay with somebody just 
a Brazilian, for example, to, to take a more football. Well, maybe that's not the best country. A German, Ethiopian, a great, a great young German, Ethiopian player, whoever it might be. Absolutely no connection. Just transplanted into the Irish setup. Would that work for you? If it worked for the manager, really, I, 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 re- I think, and keep it here to say, Martin O'Neill. If O'Neill and Keane, let's assume Keane has some say in the selection of the squad. If they, they sit down and they know the value of a bit of cohesion in the squad or a bit of morale, all, all those general terms of it, generally everyone feels a part of the thing. If they thought the inclusion of somebody had such a detrimental effect that it gave everyone else, you know, it bothered everyone else, he wouldn't be involved. Hmm. I assume, I don't know. But again, in footballing ability as well, if there's a particularly talented player out there, how many times have we discussed on, on podcasts like this or elsewhere, the lack of players coming through, like... Trapatoni and when his parting comments was listen in a couple of years the new fellow will be picking the same players as I picked and that's turned out to be the case so it begins and ends we, we, with, football ident- with football ability for you as opposed to the more uh, difficult to define stuff about international identity or about national identity I should say well it, passion for the country you see passion I remember Ronnie O'Brien remember the fellow who played for Juventus years ago he was my age we played an underage t- I hope this is public because if it's not I've, I've said too much but if we had an underage game and Brian Kerr told him to go warm up with 10 or 5 minutes to go you're going on and he, he refused to warm up so I'm not going on it's a point I'm Ronnie O'Brien I'm not going on the last couple of minutes now he was Dublin born Irish is there passion there would you turn around and say we don't like your attitude we want players to use Liam George's phrase, you're cheating an Irish lad here from a place on that bench who'd love to go on and wear that green jersey. So I wouldn't agree that the argument is, uh, I, I, ultimately you want players who are good enough and want to be there. I wouldn't limit it the argument to say that's defined by where you're born. Are, th- are players, English-born players, in any way, were there ever any cliques in squads? Is it difficult? I'm sorry, you're saying these guys are a different species yeah. or something, but... <laughs> Is it all? Is it all the same? Is there? Is there? To use another football cliche, is there banter about it? About there would Irish well, identity with the English guys. Yeah, well, I suppose if if remember the underage squads I was in, Liam was in them. Liam George, Gary Doherty had an English Doherty, accent, yeah. but wasn't he born in Donegal? Or was he? I'm not sure. I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm not sure. Alex there. O'Reilly as well. He was a London-born West Ham goalkeeper. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not like this unspoken thing that you got, God, listen, he's got a different accent, let's never <laughs> reference that. Did you know what I mean? Like, when you're 18 or 20, you're, you're, you're going to... Everything's on the table. <laughs> yeah, like, that, well, yeah, it, the, Kenny Cunningham's point of view last night, the point of view of loads of people around the country is yeah. that, you know, if you can't sing the national anthem, you know, that's a mark against you. Or if... If you can remember uh, far back enough, if you were watching Italian IT as a kid, who were you shouting for? I mean, I, like, is that a pretty decent uh, measure of your the you know national identity? You know, did you grow up supporting Ireland or did you grow up supporting England? If you grew up supporting England, you should play for England. If you grew up supporting Ireland, you should support. You should play for Ireland. Is, is that and your like, view? <laughs> like, I I would like to think that way, but I know for a fact if Mark Noble. Declares for Ireland, plays two good games, helps us, you know, get a nick a draw away from home or nick a victory against one of the big teams in our group, something we haven't been able to do. You know, I'm not going to care. You know, and, and I know that that's going to be my reaction. And, you know, sure, Italian 90 is the most perfect mm. example of all. You know, no one was too bothered about it then. You know, or if they were, it was, you know, the public opinion was, you know, washed all that criticism away, you know. Um, but, I mean, as, an, as a... As a definition of national identity, 
I, I find I find that hard to, to, to come up with like a, a specific definition. Well, the team you supported as a kid is the team you should play for. The country that you supported as a kid should be the country you play for. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't. I know you're handing over basically your uh, your national allegiances to your five year old. I was going to say that you can yeah. change your mind about things at sixteen, at eighteen. Now with Noble, that's not what's happening. Yeah. It's it's yeah. Uh, well, well, what I'm saying, I suppose, is that's the gut. You know, you you know that's you, you were raised in a certain way. That's you know that that's your gut reaction that you would support England rather than Ireland because you grew up in England and all, all your and, 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 and you'd, you'd, England, you'd exclude that little boy from playing for the country that he didn't support when he grew up because he became a professional footballer who's absolutely rammed full of ambition would love to play in an international tournament would love to experience international football and there's an option of doing that by declaring for one country you, you, would, you, would, you would turn around and say sorry you, you, that ship sailed you had your chance at 6 and 8 and 10 years of age and you decided an you, 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 I saw you you had England posters on your wall you didn't have Ireland ones you don't get to play I think that's a bit too harsh what about guys like me who can sing the national anthem but Always mumble over a few of the words in the middle. Never quite one hundred percent sure. We've uh, yeah, there's <laughs> there, a few questions I, over you two. Don't worry about <laughs> can, that. Can, can I play for me? Is it on Martin O'Neill? Is it on Mark Noble now to contact Martin O'Neill directly? Does the PR element of it matter at all? That his agent maybe should say to him, "Look, Mark, if you want to do this, let's do it the right way and win over the supporters." I, I assume that will happen. I assume if the if if. Like the, the real stuff will happen in private. He, he'll make his decision based on whatever reasons. He will explain it with his agent, his family, whoever. O'Neill will be involved in it. So if the conclusion comes to say, right, I'm now going to declare, I'm interested, they'll say, right, now we need to, how are we going to spin this publicly? So I assume he's going to do an interview with a couple of handpicked people in the media and he will explain how agonising the decision was, but he'll say, listen, now that the decision is made, look at me, look at how I've played football. I'm a committed player. That's what I'm bringing to the table here. I'm absolutely 100% committed. The decision's been made. I know England isn't an option. I'm here. Pick me. And, and that's, that's, that's where this will go next. And he'll try and say, well, listen, you've got to understand where I came from. We're all football fans. This was my footballing identity when I was a kid. But now the situation has changed. I'm here. Pick me. Mm. And then it's up to O'Neill. And again, it's the sort of thing where it'll matter for, you know, the couple of weeks until he plays his first game. And then... He'll either be of use to us and we'll say that Mark Well, Noble Clinton Morrison was a funny one. As far as I remember, Clinton Morrison kept us hanging on a little bit, but I remember him being treated like a hero when he played his first game and uh, there was a huge reception for him. And in fairness, Morrison's probably a good example of a guy who came over, tried really hard, scored a few important goals for us. If we got that yeah. out of Mark Noble, a similar impact for a few seasons. Yeah, there's, like, right there's the assumption because there's indecision at the moment or because there was a delay in the decision that he will not be 100% committed when he gets it. That's the, that's the only, uh, uh, to be honest, that's the bit that I'm slightly more concerned about than the the broader questions I think it's actually okay for Mark Noble he qualifies I think it's okay for him to play I'd be concerned that if he doesn't really what, what, what's his actual motivation it's, he's coming over to a mediocre enough international team he's not going to be winning the World Cup so what exact what sort of motivation will he have to play really well for Well, Ireland? let's hope he can change that yeah. that he can 
rises above our mediocrity, to use your words. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's personal fulfilment, isn't it? I mean, he wants to play it at the highest level. He's probably not going to play Champions well, League the football. Prem- the Premier League is the highest level, though. But isn't that well, what the Champions League is the highest level? Uh, or, and then you think No, I would say Premier League is a higher level for a professional footballer than an international qualifier. Whatever about comparing a World Cup to the yeah. Premier League. Well, he's certainly not going to play in a European Cup or World Cup for England so he's going to try and do that for Ireland I mean I, I, I can see the point I can see why he's doing it Richie we are going to be playing Georgia uh, the news is just saying that it hasn't been cancelled uh, okay. we don't have to play all man again <laughs> so until next week enjoy the game on Sunday we'll chat to you soon cheers lads alright that's, that's good manners <laughs> players have played but they're still in the squad I wonder did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job no absolutely not no 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 it's none of their business you know what I was going to do it's a ridiculous question <laughs> <laughs> and we want to win football that's just there's nothing to tame you know or some sort of animal you know what I mean and you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do he makes me look like Mother Teresa you know he's um, I don't know and we want to win football that's just we've had a lovely few days the hotel's been lovely Food's been excellent. Training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, we've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. You covered it there to a certain extent, Murph, but the, the motivation for Noble to play international football, I'm still not sure. Sometimes you hear that they want to be in a shop window and want to move to a bigger club, but I'd mm. imagine he's... Mark Noble strikes me as a happy hammer if he's there he for does. his entire career. An extremely happy hammer. As happy as any of the World Cup heroes of 1960. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is that the Ken Early journalist chopper returning with some high quality football audio and with Ken Early? I, I, it must be on. There's very few helicopters Ooh. in this. Oh, Thanks, Wolfie. Thanks, Wolfie has landed at safety. You can head off now. Ken, how are you? Yeah, great. Um, that was, that was uh, kind of invigorating, actually. It's amazing how, how quickly you can get around the city in a, in a helicopter. Compared to, you know, public transport or, uh, you know, private transport, any of those, mm. any, any kind of land-based transport, really. Mm. Um, I've, just, I've just been up to the Radisson Blue Hotel at Dublin Airport yeah. to talk to Niall Quinn. <laughs> Niall Quinn, who was there for Sky, Sky Sports, uh, watching the game, of course, last night. Um, and Bloody good sports broadcast partner. Sorry, Sky, just wanted to put that Sky on the record. Yeah. So you were building up a little bit to Georgia in particular and... Just having a general chat about Mark Noble and a few other but we don't want to let people we don't want to give, too, too, don't give too much away just to say Niall Quinn uh, one of Ireland's greatest ever football man talks about a couple of other football men uh, so now the game last night we won the match Is it, but I mean how much can you learn from a match like that not a huge amount in reality but the fact is in the dressing room itself it'll be a happier place that they went and got the job done particularly for somebody like Kevin Doyle who's back on the score sheet in, in, in an Ireland jersey going into a qualifier uh, the whole thing just you know, feels better when you get a win, every dressing room does no matter who you beat or how you play to win means an awful lot and I just believe as well with the sort of run of results that had seen us not win for some time I think Martin would be delighted too you know, that it just sets it up, tees it up nicely for the weekend, we, we didn't beat a, a very fashionable world power of course but um, at the same time just the basics were good and without overextending 
themselves. I felt uh, they, they've shown that they, you know, they'll, they'll be ready in mean business at the weekend. You weren't impressed with the way Kevin Doyle had been treated by his club recently? Yeah, uh, not his club, by, by his manager um, in particular uh, in, in the Ireland uh, setup. Giovanna Trapattoni's last sort of few games for Ireland and he left Kevin out. Kevin kept his job alive for him, I thought, early on in the group stages. And to be discarded from the Irish panel by text, I think, if, if I'm yeah. being accurate, I felt for all the work he'd done and for the, 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 all the lone shifts he'd done up front and uh, holding the, the, the ball up, trying to bring players into it, um, you know, I know how tough that is with your back to goal in international football and I didn't think he was treated very well. But the great thing is he kept his head down, worked hard and at club level it's kind of awkward for him I think is the best way of putting it with his Wolves career and going out on loan but the QPR move is great for him and you can see a, a bounce in his step I mean it was a terrific header I watched it again afterwards you know it was, it, he, he was an awkward ball to get to he got to it he put it in and he did, he did a kind of a, a triple salco or something that you'd see in, in ice skating after he headed it it was a most, most remarkable and agile header that you'll see and um, I'm just I'm delighted for him I, I think that that would be you know really good for him especially you know I think he'll get more out of that game last night than any of them There was another player who uh, maybe felt he wasn't treated that well by the previous manager Darren Gibson who uh, who made his return how did you feel he, he slotted in? Ah grand I mean Darren is a very good player and injury of course prevented him from showing his best at a critical time under the last management but would he have got a game anyway I'm not so certain you know Darren's kind of a proud guy and was a little bit upset of course of the way he was treated um, but he's back in business now and it's over he, he, he's out the gap now and, and re, you know, he's, he's re-emerging as an international footballer he'll re-emerge as a Premier League footballer um, you know it, it, it's, it's a good time he won't want to look back and at, at that particular especially when you've had an injury and I've had that and you get the jersey on again you had it around the same time of, of your career yes I did yeah and my career was starting to hit the, the spot where I wanted it to hit and I did my cruciate uh, but having said that all the pain you go through and all the, the, the you know the, you question yourself through that time am I going to get back there's nothing like just sticking the green jersey on and coming back he, he said that um, you know that one of the things that, that went through his head was this kind of like an intimation of his mortality as a player, you know, I'm not getting any younger. This is this is I've, I've, I don't have that many years. So, I mean, how how could you relate to that that experience of you know, kind of in the, in what's supposed to be the prime years of your career suddenly getting? Yeah, well, I did my cruise at 27. I did another one at 29. And in those years, uh, I had a choice: feel sorry for myself and blame the people who tackled me in the world, or be more determined than ever to get it back in, into the groove and to extend my career for as long as possible. And you have other things to take into account. I, I, you know, I'm not sure of Darren's situation, but I had two young kids. At 27, I had one, and at 29, I had, we had our second one. So you're looking at, at those around you and you say, I need to get back here. I need to, to extend this. I need to make a, an existence for these, this family of mine who, who believe in me. And your, your purpose changes and you become a steelier person. So you don't go in and just take part in the dressing room crack that's going on and, and uh, having a laugh and you know this is great isn't life but you suddenly you jump out of that mold very quickly and go look guys I'm different now I'm, I'm clearly more focused uh, I want to get better and stronger I want to impress I want to do it in a hurry and I'm no longer one of the crowd and you end up either standing out and going for it and extending your career or as I said you, you've not had that mentality you have a weaker mentality and, and you go under and you start blaming people for all the, for all the wrongs that happened to you and, and it's as simple as that and I had a difficult path to, to come back Man City didn't believe in me 
Um, the chairman, particularly at the time when he played, that injury finished people, so he, he, he wasn't uh, enamoured that I was still hanging around. And, and he, it, first of all, attempted to sell me to Aston Villa, then he attempted to sell me to Sporting Lisbon. And in, in the end, I was, you know, just hope this doesn't happen to Darren, but I got to a situation where I was out in Thailand trying to get a football club to buy me. Uh, because my parent club didn't believe in me. But it's I, amazing, isn't that yeah. now, considering yeah. how long you then played? Yeah, I played seven years, yeah. nearly seven years afterwards, yeah, and had probably the best times in, in, at Sunderland. So, you know, there's a, there's a, as I said earlier, steeliness, but there's a drive that comes alive in you that you didn't realise when you were coming up through the ranks, when you were you're doing your apprenticeship, when you're becoming a young pro, when you're getting your debut. Ireland caps were coming along. Uh, you value them a hell of a lot more when you've been through something like Darren has, and I'm sure he'll, he'll feel... Great. I mean, him and Kevin, yeah. I mean, I said Kevin will feel better now, but I'm sure he will too because you put that jersey on and it just takes away all the doubt. Mm. You know, and, and I can remember the game, the, the first game I played at Ireland, I think it was out in Latvia after my injury. And I was apprehensive, but you try not to show it. We got through it. We won the game. My knee held up because, you, you know, you, you ask yourself questions, you know, if somebody tackles me badly, will it look bad? You know, and, and it was a great feeling to come away from that first game after a long injury knowing that, yeah, I'm back, I'm, I'm going to even do better than I ever did before. And that, that, that was, that's the drive, and it becomes more focused. It, it's, it's almost survival mm. in, in, the, in the professional football. I won't call it a rat race because it, it's, there's too much reward to say it's a rat race. It's, it's, not, it's not a rat race, but it's a tough scramble you know, to get into position where you can have really good earning potential and uh, for it to be you know, in doubt and taken away from you. To have that close by, or to have a better future than you ever thought you would have because of the new drive that you found, mm. uh, and that's that's where Darren finds himself, and I'm delighted to see him back. Well, he certainly increased our, our options in one area of the field. I mean, maybe it's uh, you know we've we've had this long kind of phony war of no competitive matches and and no real bust ups or, or that kind of thing happening. Uh, so maybe it's a reflection of the fact there's not that much to talk about that this Mark Noble issue has become a kind of a talking point. Um, I mean, you know the, the outline of this. Uh, what's, what's your take on it? I mean, is, would you be one of those who said, give this lad as long as he wants to, to make up his mind? Probably not, no. no? I think, I think uh, my, my view on that, and, and not just particularly the Noble case, but over the, over the period of time, is there has to be a real willingness to come and play, and you have to be pulling at the shirt tails of people to come and play for the country and, and prove that, you, that you feel part of it. And, you know, I played with guys who did that. I played with Aldo, played with Andy, played with Chris, uh, Chris Hutton. You know, they wanted it so badly. They, they, they showed more than I've got a choice to make and I'm going to decide which one to go. You know, I, I think it, it's a fine balance because the media sometimes can run away and take something from from a, a, an offhand comment can suddenly be the the, the drive that, that everybody has the debate about. Uh, I would have thought the best way for a player in that position, and there's, there's one or two players around I think that can qualify for Ireland still, is to privately get in touch and express your desire to the management, hmm. either through your agent or, or, or whatever. But the the it doesn't look good when you when you first person you go to is the press, you know, yeah. and say I might do that. I'm not sure. Yeah, you know. I mean, in a, in a more general way, though, what, I mean, uh, players really have different motivations for for playing international football. I mean, there's maybe the the sense of you know the pride in the shirt, but maybe not everyone feels not everyone's doing it for the same reason. I mean, yeah. when when you were playing for Ireland, what did that 
Well, why did you play for Ireland? Was it just simply the case of, well, this is, this is the best thing, this is the highest level that I can this play? This is the highest level, this is, this is the accolade, this is, you know... That's more of a the, professional thing, though, it's then, more, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, this is me going and playing in Lands End Road, as we played then, as it was called, and looking at the people up there, which I was one of them. And on Wednesday afternoons, because we had no floodlights in the country, oh. on Wednesday afternoons, getting off school, using all sorts of excuses, mitching, for want of a better word, to go and see the Ireland team play and thinking it was the greatest thing I'd been to and to think that I was on that pitch doing the same thing. And it was handed down to you, that, that, that longing to play for the country, when you got to the group, the Frank Stapletons, the Liam Bradys, you know, people like that, when you got into that group, they almost passed on, I suppose an onus on you to make sure as you get older you've got all the other young people coming in feeling the same thing that this is a, a privilege to play in this group that uh, this isn't a, a professional m- money making uh, ploy to get you to a better club that this is you're in this you're part of a very very you know important group of people who are, who are together as one and that, that was always the way I felt Davy Langan was you know the, the person who would have vetted what we'll call the English-born players who would come over. And Davy, you know, the lovely fellow, out-and-out dub, but Davy was the one who sang all the songs, who got all the thing going, who, 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 who I suppose, in, in my time anyway, I know before him it would have been Ray Tracy and people like that. Mm-hmm. And they, that, that passed on this, this longingness to play for, for your country uh, above all. And the, the English-born lads who come into it at that time would have had to get by him, you know, and he'd be asking all sorts of questions about how much do they actually know about their grandmother, yeah. you know. And uh, we used to have a bit of fun over, but that's how they were moulded into the team. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it couldn't have been the same for them, though, in terms of. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Definitely. I mean, there, there, there are players who are more attached to their Irish past. You know, maybe there are players who did uh, watch Ireland matches or looked out for them when they were kids, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, but then but, there's others like Cascarino who, who you know, who, yeah. who pulled but, a few strokes together. So, you know? so, I mean, you know, do you think that it is possible to have, like, a personal motivation, you know, a sort of a sense of, well, I'm a professional footballer, this is the highest level of football, therefore... This is something I'm going to... And, and for a player with that kind of motivation to be just as good. Yeah, I, I think you can to a point, but when you've kind of nailed your colours to the mast for a different country all up the line, mm. I, I question the, you know, the, the last throw of the dice to get a cap yeah. attitude. I think that's where I'm coming from. And uh, having said that, you know... In, in this particular case in Noble if he, if he rings up Martin and he says I'm desperate to come and play I feel I've got an international career in me the media have ran away with a story here maybe it's at my agent's fault or whoever for, for leaking it out there um, you know just, just give me a shot at it I think that would be brilliant mm. you know but you know uh, running it through the media and hoping that somebody rings him yeah, if yeah, that's yeah. the case you know I'm, I'm not so certain I'm not so certain the other thing um, that's kind of been coming up lately and, and Martin O'Neill was talking about it last night is uh, the possibility of Ireland playing three at the back. I mean, it's something that Martin O'Neill did. Maybe you remember playing against Leicester teams who, yeah. who, who used this. Actually, if you I do... Elliot and Walsh. Yeah. Yeah. Elliot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell, tell me about Elliot. I mean, do you remember playing against Yeah, him? yeah. I remember yeah. watching him. He was, he was pretty, uh, he was, fearsome he was a pretty tough guy. lad, yeah. And he, he played alongside a couple of tough lads as well. Taggart was tough. Yeah. Um, had some great battles with them, but very fair. Walsh was probably the best footballer of the three of them that used to play in, in that position. Uh, even though he was a big, tall lad as well, he, he was an excellent footballer on the deck. Um, 
Elliot was a driver and a leader, so I'm, I'm so I'm not I'm not so certain that the way they played uh, that they would have been capable of dealing with the way the game has gone and the speed and, and the intricacy and the and the, the sort of the passing movements that take place around the three at the back these days. Yeah. They were just three guys who let nothing get past them in the air mostly. Yeah, uh, goals and came up for set piece, etc. So so it's slightly different to I think what's needed in, in the modern game against I suppose. You'll be playing against one centre forward between the three of you at times, and suddenly there'll be three joining him, and they'll all be five foot six and quicker than you, you know, in general. So, um, so, so the personnel needed for a three. I think John O'Shea can adapt anywhere these days. I think he, he's so experienced now and, and so smart. He, he plays the game on, on uh, you know, on, on, in second gear a lot because of his experience, and he doesn't get himself too exposed. I think the last time I saw him badly exposed, probably for Ireland, was at Germany. Hmm. But having said that, he wasn't the only one that night. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't the only one. He couldn't do it on his own. So I think John could could handle that. Uh, who, who else could play left or right of him if he was the central point in a three? Uh, he's talking about Ravi Richard Kyo, um, as, as a player yeah. could do. He's, he's, he's definitely agile enough. It uh, is something we, we tried before with Ireland. I mean, was that may have overlapped with your? I can't quite remember. I mean, you were talking ninety six, ninety seven. Were you, did it and, were you and in the team? Were you injured? Yeah. No, Mick did it, and uh, so it didn't, it work, didn't work, and he got rid of it, and. Why didn't it work? God, be good to him. Stan did it. Yeah. Stan had a brilliant first night here. That against Sweden. And we were fantastic on the night. Everything was great. I was thrilled for him. And then I turned up for the next match, I think, against Chile, if my memory serves me right. And he played five at the back. And, you know, the crowd would come and really wanted to support the team. They'd won their first game. We got eaten alive by Chile. And Stan had spent the week pre- preparing them in a five at the back. And just nobody had done it at their clubs. It was something that he felt would work, and it didn't work. And then there was then by the time they got their four back, the the, the fear had set in. So so it can be it can be a, a double edged sword. I think it's really interesting the way that that always happens. Uh, it, it always happens in English football anyway. Mm-hmm. Whenever anyone plays three at the back, everybody always says, "Well, English." I mean, I'm, I'm talking about English players, but players in the English league, effectively, this doesn't work in, in our league. And I never quite understand why it is. Well, I, mean, I suppose yeah, the, 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 it's more the coaches and their ability because the coaches really stuck at it. You know, it, it would have changed, and, and there has been change in lots of areas. But it, it does seem there's a real scepticism about that. It's like, oh, but, we well, don't, we yeah, don't do that. If you see, people think that Van Gaal came in and spoke about it all summer. Therefore, you know, the, the, the wheel has been re- remade, uh, which is jo- something that really annoys Martin O'Neill. Yeah, it? of course it does. And Steve Bruce was doing it for fun last year for Hull, mm. and, and Hull had a brilliant defensive record, and they went to Wembley, and I think two of the three of the back scored goals or, or laid on goals. Uh, you know, from corners and seppies. So, so, so the, the, going back to the point, I'll even go further actually to the point. Arsenal, the great team that George Green put together, they all talk about the Arsenal back four. Well, it was actually a five when Dave O'Leary was involved because it was O'Leary, Adams, and Bold. And then they bought Keown back when Dave O'Leary got, got a little bit too old, and then they turned it back into a four. But for, for the breakthrough years under George Graham, Arsenal played three at the back, Dixon and Winterburn bombed forward. Uh, and, and that gave Arsenal the edge because they, the other teams ha- hadn't got enough to, to deal with it and it was only over time and Arsenal dropping back to back for when teams get to handle it that coaches then go and do something different and I think the time has seemed to have has come right now in the Premier League where seeing what's happened at the World Cup we've seen the way teams are doing things we'll have a go and Van Gaal has been the, the leader of this band publicly because of his philosophy which, which we keep hearing about which is driving me even more mad uh, and, and you have to kind of people like I had for hand. Hold on, man. Steve Bruce was doing this, and nobody spoke about philosophy. Mm. Steve Bruce showed how it could be done. Hull had a fantastic year, the best year in the club's history. 
other reasons, of course, but but you know the fact that they were so solid. And if you're going to go forward, you know, Steve Bruce, I can't imagine him ever playing against Arsenal again with two centre forwards on the pitch. He did that in the league six weeks, five weeks before the cup final. Mm. And they got eaten by Arsenal. He goes and plays the cup final with a different system. And that same Arsenal 11, almost man for man, just couldn't break them down for 75 minutes. Mm. So, it, you know, it was, uh, it was here. And, and it's people like Martin know exactly how, how, how it should be played. And he may look at it and it may, it may suit what he's got at his disposal. He, you know, he, he's got players who I think aren't anchored down by only having played in a four. I think he's got players who are so willing and desperate to drive their careers forward that they would they would do everything they could to adapt it. They're not all they're not in their thirties having played in a back four all their lives. You know, there's a freshness about the team. We're, you know, I was delighted when the management was announced. I think it'll definitely show an upturn in our country's fortunes over time. And if he wants to bring that system in, I think he's got the right kind of personnel who won't be like, say, when, when Mick brought it in and you'd old people like me and Cascarino going, this will never work. You know, mm. we were in the squad, you know, as, as old players and the elder players tend to go back in our room, having done a day's working on five at the back. And, you know, like the two fellas, you know, giving out... Um, there was old times in Ireland. You'd say, my and child. Do you remember that years ago? That's too young for you, isn't it? <laughs> it was Hall's Victorial Weekly. I'm showing my age now. Yeah. And they used to give out about everything. And, and Casparino and I were like those two, uh, you know, saying this will never work. Oh, you know, such and such is no good. He won't be able to do it. You know, da da da. This is going to cost us. You know, we we might be better getting off this team uh, before it comes crashing down. You know, and then suddenly things start to change a bit, and you go, oh, great decision, Mick. You know, so so, so yeah. there, there'll be people in the squad. In the squad in those days, because we'd had success like that. But this this particular group, I just think that they're they're perfect for Martin if Martin wants to make them adapt. They're blank slate, basically. Yes, I think they are, and they're they're so keen to drive it to the next level that that he can do that, and he can do it, you know, over time. Of course, the biggest the bigger problem that faces all international managers if you are changing something that they've come and done over, under Trapattoni for years and years. Uh, you don't get enough time them to really embed it, especially if they're not doing it at their club. Yeah. But he may look at it if, if one or two of them start to play in that position for their club. Maybe that's the right time then to to mould it in. But yeah, watch the space. I think it's an interesting angle. Very last thing, I'm sure, like everyone, you wants to see Ireland win. I mean, I don't know if a draw, in, given the makeup of a group, is going to be enough, even though it is an away game. But uh, there is one either-or decision that Martin O'Neill has to make, um, and I want to know what your decision would be. Um, David Ford or Shay Given? Yeah, uh, Ford has done nothing wrong, and Shay has come back out of the wilderness. <laughs> okay, so Martin will make the decision. We all try and pick Martin's teams from before every game, and then we tell. Oh, I want to know what your team. I don't, I don't, he, he won't listen to you. He won't listen. I just want to know what you think. <laughs> we tell everybody where he got it wrong or right. Then afterwards, uh, I suppose if, if it was me, I would I would make Shay work for his place a little bit more than just coming back into the fold. I know Shay. I don't know David, but I would play David. I like the phrase used by Niall Quinn there, who seems, Niall Quinn seems a little closer to the um, Liam George side of things than to the Richie Sadler side, but maybe not quite as extreme as Liam George on it. But talking about Mark Noble there, saying that he, he questions the last throw of the dice to get a cap mm. attitude. Niall Quinn's an articulate man, and that was well articulated, even though I don't fully agree with him. I do like the uh, image of Davy Langan, though, vetting the English born players by singing rebel songs. and almost asking them to fill out a questionnaire when pretty much when they used to join the squads. Yeah, I wonder what the what the uh, curriculum was 
in those days, what he needed, what he needed to know. Was there um, kind of a study period beforehand, or did he just like the second you walk in the door, he's immediately started to humiliate you with questions that yeah. he knew you couldn't possibly know the answer to? Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's an interesting. This training it. session was as well organised as a Robert Emmett insurrection. What do you think? <laughs> mm? <laughs> it was good. Ah, I gotcha. <laughs> that sort of thing. Is, are they sneaky? Is that or? Yeah, I'm yeah. Not that, that, sure. that would have been good. I mean, that, you can learn a lot about you know the, the story that a team is trying to tell itself by its group. Have we come to a conclusion about the suitability of or the definition of Irishness at the end of this football podcast? Well, what's the greatest Irish virtue of them all, Owen? I don't know. You don't know? Well, I mean, can you think of what? Ah, uh, well, our, 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 I mean, arcade meter fault there's there's a there's a very good one there, absolutely. Cade Milafolcher. I'd say it's vying. It's a two way tie between Cade Milafolcher and um, the ability to silently resent uh, the, the sort of hi- uh, hypocrisy. Uh, you, you, it was in Father Ted. The um, the O'Leary's is that their name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The married couple. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's Irishness right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I'm saying is. I know that whatever we, whatever you say or think out there about Mark Noble and and, and whether or not it's a, either you're the it's a disgrace or oh none of this matters burn the flag anyway they say take those as the two extremes. Um, if Mark Noble was to declare for Ireland, then everybody will be Cade Mila Falter. All right, just want to mention before we wrap things up. A lot of people have been wondering, were they the winners of the Second Captain Survival Kit, our inaugural prize on our new website, secondcaptains.com? Well, unless you're Keith Kernan, bad news for you, I'm afraid. He didn't win. Keith got himself tickets to the All-Ireland semi-final last weekend. He won mugs, Second Captain's T-shirts, sweatshirts, a robe, the darts, Murph. The so I still haven't got a set of darts myself, I must, I must say. No, I don't I have a dart either. board, so I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sure it's around the office somewhere, and I'm sure you could pick one up if you so desire. Get onto that new website, secondcaptains.com. We've got another show coming out for you later today that's going to feature a preview of the All-Ireland Hurling Final, and we also chat to Alan Dillon about Mayo's defeat last weekend, and US Murph also. So plenty of great stuff there for you to get your ears into. Thanks, Murph. <laughs> Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank Thanks, you, Ken. Karen. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening. Secondcaptains.com. Take care. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 